this is your first time, if you're a first time guest or if you're a returning guest, we are glad to have you here this morning. Um, Inside your bulletin, you should have a connect card in there, this small little piece of paper. On the front side, it has a place to put info, um, what you would like to learn more of about Veritas, if you truly want to learn more. Um, And on the other side, there's a place for prayer requests. Uh, Please go ahead and fill those out. If you have something that you would like for us to pray for you as elders, um, we would love to to do that for you. Uh, We count it a joy and an honor to be able to pray over the requests of the people of Veritas. So that's in your bulletin. Go ahead and take a look at that. Uh, If you would, go ahead and stand with me. We are going to be in Romans 8. Romans 8 this morning. Verses 1 through 13, if you don't have a Bible, the little white Bible on the end of the pew uh, will, uh, has, uh, it's on page 55, sorry, um, page 55 in the little white Bible next to you. All right, yeah, 550, sorry. That's what happens when you don't get much sleep throughout the week. All right, so this is Romans 8, God's Word to his people, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful to be here gathered with the people of Veritas this morning. I pray now that you would uh, allow the Spirit to be at work in our hearts and in our minds as we work through your word. Father, I pray that you would illumine our eyes to see uh, things that we may have never seen before or that you would make real truths that we have heard over and over and have become desensitized to. I pray that you would make them life-giving again. Lord, I pray that you would be with my words, that you would use me 
to preach your word to the people of Veritas. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please have a seat. I want to begin this morning by recapping our series on the Holy Spirit up to this point. Pastor Garrison opened our series on Ascension Sunday by teaching us that it was necessary for Jesus to leave this earth and be seated at God the Father's right hand so that we could send so that he could send the gift of the Holy Spirit. He then taught us how the Spirit is the third person in the Trinity, fully God in loving unity with the Father and the Son, sent to us to be our helper, never leaving our side. From there, we moved on to the work of the Holy Spirit, specifically because of his kindness and our need and how he brings about the conviction of sin in our hearts. And then last week, Pastor Dan preached out of John 3, 1 through 15, teaching us how the Spirit brings about the second birth when we believe in Jesus, the Son. Well, this morning, I want to focus us in more on the work of the Holy Spirit, springboarding off of what Dan's sermon last week was about, how the Spirit brings about conversion, and talking about how the Spirit applies salvation to us and gives us new life. What I want you to do right now is to think about a person who is the kindest, most caring, most loving person that you know who does not claim to be a Christian. It could be a family member, a neighbor, a coworker, best friend, someone from your past or your present. Think about what makes them that way. Are they extremely hospitable? Do they seem to always think about others before themselves? Do they fight for social justice causes? Are they the person who always seems to know the right thing to say to you when you're down? Are they the one who is serving your neighborhood so well that they are the one setting up every event, leading it, and being the most enthusiastic participant? I'm sure that you've thought of other reasons that make this person the nicest person that you know. Now I want you to keep that person in the back of your mind. We'll get back to them as we walk through this passage in Romans. And our big idea this morning for our message is this. The Holy Spirit applies Christ's saving work and gives us new life. The Holy Spirit applies Christ's saving work and gives us new life. The third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, administers the benefits of the work of the cross accomplished by the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, to give our dying and decaying bodies new life. And we are going to go through this portion of Paul's letter to the Romans using three points to guide us. First, Christ's salvation applied. Second, the flesh is death. And third, the Spirit gives life. Christ's salvation applied, the flesh is death, and the Spirit gives life. And then at the end, we'll wrap it up with some application. Let's begin with Christ's salvation applied. Our passage this morning begins with Paul summarizing an argument that he has been building since Romans chapter 3. 
Now, we don't have enough time this morning to go through in detail what Paul has been laying out. But in short, what the Apostle Paul has been arguing is that salvation comes through Jesus, and it is because of faith in him that believers are justified or made righteous before God. That is a very, very simplified version of what Paul is writing about. And I strongly urge you that if you've never studied Paul's letters to the Roman, Romans, that you take the time to do that. Because the book of Romans is a great book, both for those wanting to study doctrine and for those looking to become more devoted in their Christian practice. But for this morning, we'll stick to that Paul is summarizing that it is in faith in Jesus Christ that makes believers right with God. He then concludes this argument in verse 1 of chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What Paul is stating here is that for believers who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, they are no longer under the penalty of not being able to keep the whole law. Now this is an echo from Romans chapter 5 where Paul says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ are at peace with God. And those who were once under the condemning power of the law now no longer receive any condemnation. Well, how is this so? Well, we see two things here in verses 2 and 3. First, we see that the spirit of life has set you free from sin and death. In chapter 7, Paul writes that even though the law is holy, righteous, and good, sin uses it to bring about death within us. So when in verse 2, Paul writes, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, he is saying that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you are freed from the power of sin. The Holy Spirit is playing the role of liberator and setting the believer free from their sin nature, which once only brought death. As a guy who really enjoys history, what comes to mind whenever I hear the word liberator or liberation is the Allied forces liberating the Nazi concentration camps. Between 1933 and 1945, the Nazis led by Adolf Hitler ran tens of thousands of camps in which the political opponents and racially undesirable were held. It is estimated that during these years that somewhere between 15 and 20 million people were imprisoned or died. During the final years of World War II, the Allied forces made their advances into Nazi territory and coming across these camps freed or liberated these prisoners that were inside. They freed the prisoners from a life that was leading to an almost certain death. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. He comes in and liberates us from sinful flesh, which leads to certain death. The chains of sin and death are shattered by the power of the Holy Spirit, for those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
which then leads us into verses 3 and 4, where we find Christ's work fulfilled in us. Not only does the Holy Spirit free us from sin and death, it then also applies the saving work of Jesus to all who believe. Look at verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The law, even though it is good and given by God, is unable to free us from the power of the flesh. It does not have the power to save. Instead, sin uses the law to bring about even more condemnation. God, knowing this, sent his son to be a sin offering, to be a sacrifice on behalf of all of those who would believe. Jesus entered into a world that was controlled by the flesh and kept the whole law, conquering the power of sin and putting sin to death so that the believer is no longer under condemnation. Instead, those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ now have the Holy Spirit. And if we walk according to the Spirit, the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us. Christ's saving work is applied to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we see in verses 5 through 8, the flesh is death. Paul goes on to contrast and define what a life lived according to the flesh and according to the Spirit is like. The flesh that Paul is talking about is more than our bodies, more than our skin and our bones. By flesh, Paul means human nature, a sinful nature that is always bent towards sin and one that will never desire the things of God. See how Paul describes the flesh in verses 5 through 8. To set the mind on the flesh is death, verse 6. It is hostile towards God, verse 7. It does not and cannot submit to God's law, and the flesh cannot please God, verse 8. Dr. Thomas Schreiner, in commenting on this particular section, says that to set the mind on the flesh means to think continually about And constantly desire the things characteristic of fallen, sinful human nature. That is, to think just the way the unbelieving world thinks. Emphasizing what it thinks important. Pursuing what it pursues. In disregard of God's will. Paul clearly defines those who are of the flesh. There is no leverage given. If a person is still in their human nature then they are still sons and daughters of Adam, slaves to sin, unable to please God. It is at this point that I want you all to recall the person that you thought of at the beginning of the message. Think about how nice they are. Think about all the wonderful things that you thought of them and all the things that make them great. Now think about them through the verses that Paul has written. He hasn't minced words. If someone is not in Christ and does not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them, 
fulfilling the righteous requirement of the law in us, then they are set on a road to death with no off-ramp. And the death that Paul is writing about here is not just a physical death. Sure, that's one way in which sin affects all of us. Believer or unbeliever, we will all die. No, the death that Paul is writing about here is an eternal death, an unregenerate eternity apart from God. One thing that I'm afraid of that we have done, and I say we because I feel like I fall into this as well, is that we give a pass to the people that we have all thought of and others like them because they are so wonderful on the outside that surely they have to be accepted by God because of how kind they are or of all the things they are involved in or of all the good they bring to this world. We would never say this, of course. We know that those who are apart from Christ are lost. We know the Sunday school answer that we need to give. Unfortunately, when it comes to truly believing what we read here in Romans, our hearts aren't in line with our minds. But if we believe that what Paul writes is truly God's word, that all who are still in the flesh are dead and unable to please God and all their good works, how does this change the way we view them, interact with them, pray for them? My hope is that the Spirit convicts us this morning and moves us to pray for a change in nature for these dear people. That we would become friends who proclaim the beauty of the gospel with a hope that the Spirit would bring about new life. Because without the Holy Spirit, those who are still in the flesh are dead. Which leads us to our final point. The Spirit gives life. So how does Paul contrast a life lived according to the Spirit versus a life of the flesh? Well, for one, if someone lives according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Verse 5. Believers are no longer in the flesh. They no longer have an inclination towards sin. Instead, since the Spirit lives inside of them, they are... They have a new way of thinking and a new way of living. They are no longer controlled by their old sinful desires, but now have a desire to consider the things of God and to do His will. In fact, a Christian, by definition, cannot be in the flesh because all who are in Christ Jesus have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. Look at me with verses 9 through 11. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. This is mind-blowing. The spirit of the living God has taken up residence inside every single Christian. From those 
whom Paul was writing to in Rome, to those of us sitting here in the room this morning. Listen to the words of Ezekiel in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. You may be familiar with this passage. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I have put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give, your heart, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. In Paul's passage, we see the prophecy of Ezekiel becoming the promise to all who believe in Jesus Christ. All Christians have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, all Christians now have peace with God and a new life, a new nature in which we can now please God and submit to His will, things that we were unable to do when we were in our sinful flesh. This isn't to say that as Christians, we will never sin again or that we will never struggle against our old sinful nature. The body that we live in is affected by sin. The mind that we have is affected by sin. I don't want you to walk out of here this morning being discouraged. Sin is something that we will continue to battle with until we die. But take heart. Because when we do battle our old self, we have the spirit to give us the desire to fight. And as verse 1 says, there is no condemnation, none, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the Spirit doesn't only bring about spiritual life. It also gives life, life to our mortal bodies. Verse 11 says, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead after dying on the cross is the same spirit that will resurrect our bodies at the resurrection of the dead. As in our last sermon series where we talked about the resurrection and resurrection life, we get yet another glimpse of how one day our mortal bodies will be raised and made glorious. Your body, my body, will be raised to its resurrected and glorified state by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives us new life, both spiritually and physically. And I have two points of application, and then we'll close. And the great thing about the passage we have this morning is that Paul provides us with our application. Look at verses 12 and 13. So then, Paul, so then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. First point of application. We owe the flesh nothing. Nothing. We are debtors not to the flesh. All our flesh has ever done to us is lead us down the path of death, as we've already seen in verses 5 through 8. 
Our sinful and selfish desires no longer need for us to give in to them. Our sin nature is no longer master and commander of our lives. When we repent of our sin and give our lives to Jesus, we are changed. We are given a new nature. The Spirit rebirths us and gives us new life. We are no longer in bondage to the chains of sin which once bound us. So when temptation comes knocking at our door, we don't know it, owe it anything to get up and answer it. When we hear a juicy bit of gossip about someone else, there's no need for us to go and take that and tell somebody else. We don't owe it to our flesh to do so. When sinful anger starts raging in our hearts, when we're dealing with a coworker or we're dealing with one of our children, we are no longer required to give a comment in hopes to tear down the other person or to discipline our child with the sole purpose of getting our children in line with whatever we told them we want them to do. You might say, well, how is this possible? I still sin all the time. I was thinking this morning, I probably sinned like 10 times this morning before I got to church. I give in to sinful desires each and every day. I don't feel as if the Spirit is at work within me at all. Well, that's the second point of application. We owe our triune God everything. But if the Spirit, if, but by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If we no longer owe our flesh anything, then we must owe somebody something. And that somebody is our triune God. Because God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus Christ to live in full obedience of the law die in our place on a wooden cross and rise again in victory over sin and death and ascend to the right hand of the Father in splendor and in majesty who then sends the Holy Spirit to dwell within us so that we can now experience all of the benefits of full salvation. We are no longer in obligation to the flesh. As Christians, we are now obliged to fight our sin nature. And what Paul is talking about here isn't an obligation like, well, since I'm on the Neighborhood Association board, I, I, I'm obliged to go to all of the events that we've got planned. Like, you know, oh, my flesh is starting to stir up sinful desires within me. Since I'm in Christ, I guess I should get battle back against it. No, this is an obligation to stage an all-out war on our sin. Put to death the deeds of the body, Paul says. Puritan John Owen puts it this way. Do you mortify sin? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it while you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. We now have this obligation to be killing our sinful the sinful desires and sinful actions that still lurk within us. But we do not wage war alone. The Spirit of God is in us, and it is by the Spirit that we put to death our sin. And with the ability to fight sin. If the Spirit has applied salvation to us, 
we gain all the benefits of being in Christ. I wish we had more time to go into verses 14 through 17. But we see here that we are God's adopted children and heirs with Christ. God has taken us in and he has made us heirs with Jesus, his son. Oh, what a joy it is that as Christians, the Holy Spirit has applied Christ's saving work to us and given us new life. Being adopted into the family of God and enjoying the benefits of being a child of the King. Let's pray. Jesus, I feel like sometimes we can flippantly say that you lived the life we should have lived, died the death that we deserved, and rose again to to new life on our behalf. I pray that that would be something that pierces our soul each and every time. Lord, we know that you are at work in us through your spirit, and I pray that you would help us, help remind us that we have your spirit living inside of us, that we no longer are in our old self, in our old flesh, but that we have your your nature residing within us and that we can battle against sin. Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen.